Well, hello, and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 547. My name is Minter Dial, and I'm your host for this podcast, a very proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on this network, go and visit their site, evergreenpodcasts.com. So this week's interview is with David Bolatti. David's the owner and chairman since 2006 of Daviness Group and Comfort Zone. Founded in 1983, David has steered Davis Group to be a worldwide recognized professional brand, providing high-end hair care solutions for hairdressing salons and skincare with Comfort Zone for spas that is known for its commitment to ethical sourcing and sustainability. In 2016, Daviness became a certified B Corps, present in some 90 countries and with about 800 employees. Daviness Group is a tremendous success story. In this conversation with David, we discuss his career path, some of the critical choices he made, the route to and effects of becoming a B Corps, the use of La Carta Etica, the building of the Daviness community, the use of a philosopher to help craft the direction of the brand, and much more, an enlightening story. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. And if you have a moment, please go over and drop in a reading and review. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Davides, como se dice en italiano, David Bollati. I am so happy to have you on my show. Um, We've known each other over many years. Of course, I had my time when I was at L'Oreal and I, total uh, disclosure, I had the chance to work for you. I really enjoyed discovering the brand so many years ago. And um, let's say in your own words, David, who is David Bolatti? <clears throat> David Bolatti is a, a son of two parents that started uh, by accident, a business in the beauty industry in the 60s, because they had uh, some neighbors that were in the packaging industry, that is a, a, an adjacent industry. And uh, but in growing up, um, I felt that uh, my parents needed uh, help, uh, and I genuinely care about them, and I genuinely wanted to really help them. So I, I organized myself to uh, to see, you know, what I could do to help, and uh, um, that was the main the main uh, motivation for me to join uh, to, to 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 study pharmacy at the University of Parma, and then to moved to the US and, and to France to, to, to finalize my uh, education. Then when, I'm, uh, when I felt that uh, I could bring uh, something back to the small little lab, that was the beginning of the 90s, it's been a while already, I, um, I did it and I, and I started to turn the, the, the company of my parents in a small little uh, artisanal lab focusing on control packaging, manufacturing for third parties, uh, into um, more of a brand uh, branding company. And so now we have a couple of brands after all those years. So, uh, yes, um, maybe when you ask me who is Davide Bollati, and I, I uh, answer you through what I do, what I did uh, in my profession, maybe there is uh, some truth in there. 
because in my family business personal and professional has always been mixed uh, has always been just opposed and uh, i have to say that it's not that bad not to have a nine to five job when you like it when you're passionate when you have love for it and dedication it's so important to have those type of passions that bring you energy because obviously running a business as you did and, and still are as chairman, it's a, it takes a lot of energy to, to get a company. I mean, really congratulations for that journey. I wanted just to um, circle back to your education. You decided to go to the States to Farley Dickinson. Why, why the choice of going to America? <clears throat> you want to know the truth? Because I at do. that time, <laughs> you got that time in Italy. You have to do your military service. And uh, for me to waste uh, one year in military service, uh, I think uh, uh, was not uh, an option. So I, I, um, I, I don't know. And actually now after all those years, it's, it's even uh, more of a waste to go into military to defend a flag, to defend something. Even though there is more and more, uh, it seems there is more and more need I think we should ban all the flags uh, in the world because uh, under a flag, uh, you know, you, you do a lot of, uh, I mean, behind, uh, you do a lot of things that uh, you justify a lot, a lot of sins, let's say. But anyway, that's a different conversation. Uh, I had to go to the, to serve the military in Italy, but uh, the alternative was to do an international cooperation it was not so easy because you had to be on time with your exams, you had to be, or your university exams, and then you had to stay out of Italy until uh, 26 years old. So I I became doctor in pharmacy at 23, and then I uh, I went to New Jersey to work on a uh, raw material uh, company that was doing raw material for the beauty industry as a product development chemist, and then when I turned 26. I moved back. I moved back to the um, company of my parents because at that time I was uh, released from the military obligation. Hmm. Well, I didn't do any military service, although I, I was since I was a U.S. citizen, and then uh, I could have tried to get a Belgian passport at one point, but they said <laughs> you need to do your military service in order to become Belgian, and so I did not take up that opportunity there. So something we share, David, um, at some level. So what's interesting about your background as you were describing the, the beginning of Davines Group, which of course also includes Comfort Zone now, um, is that you have the packaging background, then you have the uh, chemistry background, and you have the raw materials background. Is that right? Yes, yes. Um, it was... Uh, uh, I also, also had uh, uh, the background of um, the uh, very, let's say, entre entrepreneurial spirit and um, a, small, very, a very, very small uh, artisanal lab. And this, I think, is something that uh, <clears throat> made the difference. Uh, I was also very much into marketing, into, uh, and in fact, uh, the first... Uh, line that we launched uh, at the beginning of the 90s already had uh, some uh, special uh, focus on specific packaging uh, with uh, extra sensoriality compared to the the one that were actually uh, happening at that time. 
So yeah, it's um the beauty of the the beauty of the beauty industry is that you can that you are requested to integrate different disciplines into an articraft, and that's uh, and then you have to use uh, as much as you can to uh, for, for a specific manufacturer. Indeed, I was just wondering or just thinking about how those the the roots of your company informed the company that you have today. Because I, of course, you are noted for the Davinus Group, a company I know well for having been competitors for a while. Um, I, you always had a special type of packaging, which really stood out and made it feel like a different brand, a different presence online. Yeah, <clears throat> the, through packaging, uh, there are lots of, lots of messages that can be sent. And the packaging is an expression of... Um, you know, we, we try to use packaging as an expression of uh, of who we are or who we want to be, or the value and the purpose of the company. Uh, and uh, so there is a lot behind. Uh, we have uh, our own, uh, let's say, carta ethic of packaging. We have uh, um, different goals, of course. In, in these years, it changed a lot. But now packaging is uh, one of the it's probably after uh, raw materials, um, this, the second um, component for uh, the, of the footprint of the beauty industry, and so that, you know it's a, it's a very important element uh, that needs to, needs to be considered, uh, but not only from a opportunistic opportunistic uh, perspective, but I think also from a value-based and per, um, per, um, purpose-driven perspective. Uh, as Darwin is for sure, we, this is how we approach it. Indeed. Well, so let's just go back to the beginning quickly about uh, Daviness, the, the name Daviness. How did that come around? And how, you know, because I know I change, you know, coming up with brand names is always quite an interesting thing, but the name of the company, Daviness. It came out from my parents, uh, very simple uh, thought process, very basic. Uh, the mix of the two names of the two songs. Uh, they did not have uh, a budget for an advertising company, I guess. Mm. Therefore, they came out with this name. Let's say out of love for their kids, or you know. So that my sister is Stefania, me is David. So they they mix a little bit the name, and this is uh, and it, it came out like that. You know. Well, the good news when you have kind of like a mixed name like that is that Google likes it because it's not not common. And presumably it's easier to get the .com than uh, david.com, for example. <laughs> for sure. So when you uh, just, uh, you're just now talking about the purpose, at what point do you think, uh, let's say if I put the context is, purpose is something that is definitely trendy today. Uh, but you guys, uh, have, you've become a B Corporation. You, you've, you've really taken to heart the notion of having a company with purpose. Can you tell us what is the purpose and, and how did it come to be your purpose? <clears throat> the purpose of Davines today is to do our best for the world by creating good life for all through beauty, ethics, and sustainability. It's quite a, uh, it's quite a high, um, uh, you know, uh, you say uh, high um, target. declaration of, in, of intent, mm -hmm. high target. Uh, but... Um, we uh, we refined it a few times during those years before it was a little bit more specific. 
uh, now it's a bit uh, you know get, you know more higher target and uh, but i think it's a natural uh, progression in 2005 uh, we start we added sustainable beauty under the brand name the brand of davines so in 2005 we already clarify uh, our inten intentions at least and uh, uh, because it was it came out uh, out of a a work that we've done uh, on um, the, during the creation of the of the Carta Etica, we uh, appointed a philosophical counselor that asked us that uh, help us to figure out what we wanted to do in business. What was uh, you know why we were doing things that we were doing, and once we have um, clarified this uh, through a list of. Um, values list of principles that uh, we uh, we believe uh, were important uh, to follow uh, it was a work of uh, let's say a hundred colleagues at that time so this uh, carta ethica was a wonderful uh, journey a wonderful exercise i still remember those years all the let's say battles uh, that we were doing among us on uh, you know, defending this this principle, that principle, no, but this principle goes against the other one. There's a conflict here, there's a conflict there. And then at one point, we came out with, a, um, a, let's say, a chart of, there were you know, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of principles and values, maybe around 12, uh, I think, 12, 14. And um, that was the base. Then, uh, since then, uh, it has been, uh, it has been, you know, uh, a journey uh, then we we met um, by accident at another uh, at um, a TED talk we met uh, we, we came across the, the big, big corporation that was 2015 2014 it, it was at the beginning uh, in Europe these uh, these these were companies that were stakeholder driven and not shareholder driven so a new a new breed of companies a new breed of uh, Organizations that, uh, as you know, you know, in the this uh, shareholder-driven uh, economy is, uh, has been and still is the uh, majority of uh, all the companies in the world. Maybe ninety-five percent, ninety ninety-five percent of all the companies in the world they are sh uh, shareholder-driven. Uh, as um, um, uh, Milton Friedman in the fifties. Uh, even won the Nobel Prize, not for that. The business of business is business. That's it. The only duty of a company is maximize profits for shareholders. And uh, of course, while you do this, you have to stay out of troubles, legal troubles. You know, as long as you follow the law, you're fine. But then um, it seems that uh, maybe 50 years ago, this model could have been a good model, but now the way the world is going, the way the governments, um, intergovernmental organizations, uh, the public sector and the private sector evolve. Uh, now I think um, private sector has a duty responsibility to adjust um, a trajectory that uh, is clearly not sustainable. So governments come uh, in general a bit later I think capitalism uh, got got away with a little 
bit too many murders. So now it's it's about it's about time to to readjust the model. And so now you have um, the growth. You have the uh, thousands. Uh, I think now we're around seven thousand uh, B corps. Uh, so thousands of companies around the world are are considering transforming the, their purpose into a benefit corporation and into a B Corp certified organization. And so that uh, to give a little bit more weight, a little bit more measurement to this ESG, that seems is the, you know, the dans l'air du temps, uh, as we say. But ESG has been, uh, okay, you have to do it because uh, reports are becoming more and more more and more uh, necessary or uh, by law, especially if you are a public uh, company. So, but you know, you need to defend. You need to you need to defend yourself by having a you know ESG report. I'm not talking about that type of approach. I'm talking about an approach that is proactive, an approach that uh, uh, is genuine on the intent, and that you really, really want to uh, consider all, all your footprint to measure yourself. And to consider all the stakeholders that have an impact on your on your um, through your 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 company. So if you want to call it in a different way, the the supply chain. Uh, so the the supplier supply chain is also the environment. Um, the suppliers, the colleagues, uh, the clients, uh, the communities uh, that we impact. So as you as you can see, when you start to really genuinely consider all this as your let's say clients you know customer centricity client centricity okay what uh how how do you define your clients well you know all those all the stakeholders are in a way different types of clients so once companies uh genuinely uh start to really consider uh this ecosystem then uh, some magic start to change start to happen um and it's a magic that is more and more necessary considering uh where humanity is going you know i think uh, i don't know for b corps it's quite natural to think uh, uh all to to think interdependence and to think that all, many of the phenomena that are happening in the world today unfortunately it's quite clear to the origin of it. Uh, okay, it's uh, okay, it's greed, it's power, but behind that there is a. Behind that there is also. Um, energy. Energy is a big, big thing. Uh, you know, uh, energy, uh, economy, or uh, raw materials, uh, rare materials. That that shows very clearly that. Uh, we are getting too many in this planet, and um, and we need to reorg reorganize our uh, the way we dispose of the planet. So uh, I think that uh, because of this uh, clear situation, uh, I would welcome more and more companies like Big Corp, companies that uh, that are stakeholder driven more than shareholder driven. David, lovely stuff. A uh, lot, lot of things within what you just said. And I wanted to circle back on one thing, which really uh, got my, uh, piqued my interest. You chose to have a philosopher to counsel you. 
to in the process of your purpose and your ética, your carta ética. Uh, I would love for you to tell us how, because I mean, I mean the French are, are really great at, at philosophy. They like they like their philosophy, but there are not very many business people in the world who would invite a philosopher in to help them. W tell me about the process, and was that something you sort of dictated, or was it the team wanted? Or, and then, how do you choose which philosopher? Well, this one was. Uh... Uh, it comes with uh, the first choice we made on HR. The HR in HR, we hire a psychologist, not an HR manager. And this uh, psychologist uh, had a professor that was uh, uh, this uh, professor Peretti that was uh, from Ivrea, a small little city on the Alps of Italy. That was the city of Adriano Olivetti. Adriano Olivetti was a very iconic entrepreneur in Italy in the in the sixties and the seventies. Actually, you know, Olivetti, you, you know, the writing machines, and then it, it turned into a uh, computer. And he was a real, real, let's say, enlightened leader. Uh, he, he did uh, for uh, his community, for uh, the employees of Olivetti at that time. Uh, the, the, um, the purpose of the company was, was so unique that Olivetti has been taken as a, a, an, an, an inspiration. Uh, for us, we even went to visit uh, the company in uh, in Ivrea, close to Turin. Uh, went to visit all the heritage of this company. The unfortunately then has been, uh, you know, it has been purchased by you know it turn had a few turnarounds, and so basically today is almost almost disappeared. But uh, this period, this particular period in the history of Olivetti. Uh, was uh, extraordinary. Um, then he also passed away. So and uh, and that uh, of course did not help in the continuity of the company. But um, why a philosopher? I don't know. Uh, it's a passion of mine. But uh, sometimes uh, you know I was always uh, wondering uh, if uh, the uh, goal of spending a life dedicated to Beauty products was uh, a life worth uh, to be spent, uh, and also the beauty industry for me as always. At least uh, you know, I came, I came uh, with, uh, I came into the beauty industry with uh, the conviction that uh, that the beauty industry was a bit shallow, a bit, um, uh, yeah, kind of like a shallow, kind of like a superficial industry. And so I, I, I had the genuine intent of trying to give some depth to this industry uh, beyond the, you know, the economic value of it. And so that, that uh, then, of course, you know, I, I got some help from a Greek philosophy, you know, good and good and beautiful, you know, ethics and aesthetics, uh, Aristotle. And, uh, and through that also, we, we went uh, as far as... Uh, Building a journey for a, a life worth living that that was very well expressed in a very strong Greek word called eudaimonia, eudaimonia, uh, bring bring out the, the demon out of you. But eudaimonia is a, is a, kind of like a search of happiness that is not, uh, a, let's say an Anglo-Saxon type of happiness. Happiness in the in Anglo-Saxon term is a, 
something that is happening uh, is something that happens you know uh, almost by chance the eudaimonia is a type of happiness that you have to build and uh, that you have to build through it's it's a journey it's not a, it's not a happening um, and uh, so it's a it, it, it has been a, um, it has been a, a real journey the, the life of David that's why we we pick we pick the growth uh, a type of growth that is organic and sustainable is uh, uh, so uh, these are solid let's say philosophical uh, roots uh, shape uh, the decision that we made uh, up to today in Davin. I love that. Eudaimonia, yes, it is all about the journey, not the destination. Um, just to go back to this B Corporation, um, you talked about it, you used the word magic. Um, I, I, I'm imagining you didn't think it would be magical at the beginning. It's a lot of process. I've, I've accompanied another company through the process. There are 7,000 of them. So there's, maybe that sounds like a lot, but it's not really that lot on the scale of the world. Where did the magic happen? How did that sort of, it wasn't something you imagined was going to be magical, I assume. <clears throat> well, the, the magic is um, to expand your, uh, your scope, is to uh, feel that you are entitled to work on communities, you're entitled to work on the, on the supply chain, uh, that you can... Uh, uh, have a different uh, point of view, and then uh, you know if if I go back to when we didn't have that mentality, just uh, launching new products, it's like, to me I don't know it's uh, um, it's it's a bit uh, it's not as it's not as exciting. It's not you know just just coming out with a new product for the sake of uh, marketing innovation or trend of the period or. Uh, uh, I don't know, new consumer demand. Okay, you know, this is a, this is the, the majority of efforts are going are going into this direction. Um, the new generations, the, te uh, the technology. Okay, you know, all of this is, uh, all of this is happening. All of, all of this is that. But uh, I've never been so uh, driven by that. Probably because uh, I think that I don't think money brings happiness. And uh, this is uh, uh, that money brings you daimonia. And uh, in that we always found that, thank God, the numbers are okay. Uh, we always found that uh, money is a, qu a consequence of our, let's say, journey to daimonia. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that asks you what you want to be when you grow up so you can graduate into retirement with a purpose and a passion, whether you're 25, 85, or any age in between. Gain actionable financial and mindset tips from your favorite authors, podcasters, and influencers to help you reach that exciting next chapter. Listen now and start building your path to financial freedom and reframing what retirement can mean to you. This is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate. That's lovely. Well, I, I certainly subscribe to that, David. That's um, so important to understand why we exist on this earth and, and to feel like you're doing something bigger. When, when I looked at your Carta Etica, uh, one of your 
value principles is around innovation. And so many companies tend to think of innovation as new products, new packaging, new this and that. But for you, I'm thinking innovation was also in innovating the way to run a company, the way uh, the exi why exist as a company. So it was an application of innovation in a much broader sense. Yeah, innovation, uh, we, uh, we listed at least 10 different types of innovation. I think uh, what uh, I think uh, a relevant innovation for Davin is that we don't consider ourselves a, a product company anymore. Uh, we consider ourselves a, a, a purpose-driven company that uses products uh, to achieve uh, to achieve uh, the purpose. And uh, it's uh, it's exciting to, so for example, on the theme of sustainability. Uh, after all those years, uh, we keep on. Um, uh, we keep on learning, we keep on uh, changing idea of what we should do. And uh, it's uh, one, one step after the other. And um, it's also exciting because the more, let's say, the company grows and become more uh, capable economically, uh, then uh, there is more that we can afford to do. Uh, so it's, um, it's, a good, it's a good crescendo for good that... Uh, um, that is, I think, uh, what uh, what creates this magic we were talking about before. So I, I want to talk to you about the fact that you're still a privately owned company. I, I don't know to what extent you can release any figures, um, but how big you are. I know you have a presence worldwide. I mean, you're really in literally hundreds, a hundred or at least or more countries. Uh, and just you have the small little beginning, uh, artisanal beginning in, in Parma. Now you are, uh, I would call you a multinational. I mean, you're at least, you know, in many countries, you're a big company and, and you've stayed private. Uh, so maybe if you can tell us about how big you are, how you, however you'd like to frame that. And then how is it that you've stayed a private company as opposed to the temptation of going public or getting that huge payoff for all the hard work that you've put in? Yeah, I, I feel like um, a minority here. Because uh, it's true, it's true that uh, if you, if I look around, uh, uh, the temptation of the financial world is uh, um, has been uh, uh, attracting uh, many many entrepreneurs. Uh, let's say to exit. Uh, maybe I don't know, ninety percent of them also on, on the, in this case. But the darkness today is that um, the. Uh, um, Pre-closing numbers of 2023 is a year that uh, is almost <laughs> coming to the end. Um, are around uh, 265 million euros, and uh, yes, we are still 100% uh, uh, privately owned, uh, uh, like uh, with my, my family, me, me and my sister and my mother. And um, I think that this choice. Is a powerful choice because uh, it allows us to at least to try to make the right decisions. Uh, it's not that we always make the right decision, but uh, when we make them, uh, we think they are right um, for the long term longevity, for the long term sustainability, uh, for the uh, stakeholder uh, driven approach that we have. Uh, and this is something that I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to say, but I met uh, 
plenty of uh, people from the financial and you know I don't want to be in their shoes because uh, it's very hard for financial people to be able to um, adopt uh, the right indicators uh, for uh, sustainable growth. It's extremely rare uh, to find uh, people that have been able to, to do this. It's not impossible. For example, I, I always cite Brunello Cucinelli that uh, is a company that is very much purpose-driven. Uh, he, ha he has uh, investors, uh, a minority investors uh, in his uh, in the stock exchange. And uh, as far as I know, he has not changed anything of his uh, way of running the company. Uh, but uh, I, f I find this as an exception. And um, so um, this reason, the, the reason of guaranteeing an, an, an organic growth of the company without uh, shortcuts, without uh, too much opportunism, uh, allow, uh, you know, allow, uh, lead us to, to stay independent. Also, um, the path that we set for growth uh, let's say between 10 and 20% growth. So possibly never below 10% because it's not exciting. It's not enough good for growth. Actually, not, not enough growth for good. Hmm. And above 20% uh, also is a bit uh, scary because uh, plus 20% every year, uh, then the, the, the year after you have to uh, cope with it um, when it comes to organic growth of the of everything, of uh, industrial processes, uh, the the uh, human resources, uh, uh, also the financial. But when you are between 10 and 20% of growth and on EBITDA, that is a bit below uh, market because uh, many uh, many leaders, many leading companies in the beauty industry are above 20% EBITDA. Um, but uh, we are uh, more close to 15 and uh, and then uh, recently, uh, uh, general manager asked her to reduce again the EBITDA, and I I said yes because uh, uh, if there is a good uh, reason to to reduce it, uh, why not? Uh, especially sustainability is expensive, uh, and uh, is not always understood um, at the market level, at the consumer level, and we and we. We paid a price for it, so it's okay to um, not to stretch too much uh, the EBITDA in favor of uh, more more coherence uh, uh, with with the purpose. Um, mm. I uh, I understand, especially right now with the quotations. Uh, yes, I could uh, I could uh, make uh, different uh, choices, but that will uh, will mean. Uh, the end of a of a specific business model, the uh, probably also the end of a um, a company with a genuine uh, purpose, like uh, what I can proudly say, uh, Davinus Group is today, mm. and probably the end of a way of life as well. I mean, at some levels, because you, with with a fifteen percent EBITDA uh, on two hundred sixty five. That's plenty of good good profits. I mean, really, at the end of the day, and how much more? How many more BMWs or quote unquote whatever you want to get? Um, it, it, no, it's Tesla. Tesla's not BMWs. All right, of course, I was already kidding. <laughs> 
Uh, but I do, there's one thing I loved, and maybe it was a, almost a slip of the tongue, but you said it's good for growth, but it's also growth for good. And, and that's a, a really interesting combination between 10% and 20%. Yeah, um, again, you want, to have a, you want to have an organic growth. When you, have a, when you grow too fast, culturally it's painful, industrially it's painful, and I see, you know, we are, we are, um, we we experience uh, what it takes to to have a sustainable growth, and it's it's painful. Since uh, COVID, now we are, we've uh, run because uh, now uh, we still have, um, you know, this uh, the compounded average growth rate of Davines in the last thirty years has been nineteen percent, and uh, on the last decade, uh, things are not going down much because usually when you grow more, no, you should have. A, a, a CAGR that is uh, lower. That's not really the case at the moment. So uh, it, it means that uh, the last two, three years, we hire around 100 people per, per year. So let's say 10 people per month. So um, before we knew everybody by name, now it's not the case anymore. And that is a bit, uh, yeah, that's a bit painful uh, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to, the community. I have to say that uh, our headquarters, Davenes Village, is uh, helping so much to keep the community tight because uh, it's built architecturally with that uh, intent in mind. Uh, but now, even the village that we, we open, we move into new in, in the new Davenes Village headquarter in July 2018. Now we are running out of space again. Before I remember, Minto, when you came to the old Davines factory, we didn't have parking spot. Uh, you know, parking, uh, parking. On, it was like in the middle of the street, and uh, uh, same thing for the desks uh, because you know we always uh, were in like in this growth crisis. But now, okay, smart working is helping for sure. So that now you know at the Davines village, you can come and you can have uh, you can book uh, with an app uh, your. Uh, desk because uh, because we cannot we don't have a space for every single desk we have like 350 desks in Davenes village but now we we purchase uh, we found the opportunity to purchase our neighbor and so um next next spring we'll have 50 more 50 more offices so it's um it's expanding but again the culture is uh, and also machi machines, uh, investment in machines, investing in, in warehouses. It's not that, uh, you know, uh, we, we like to to be responsible of things. And uh, and again, uh, you say that, okay, the Davines grew, but we are still zero point, uh, you know, zero. We are not even yet in the top 100 beauty companies in the world. Maybe maybe soon, because we are, we are close, you know, but mm -hmm. we are not there yet. So we are still a super, super niche way of thinking, super niche uh, um, weight in the, you know, in, in the big, big uh, ocean of the, of the beauty industry. Well, and maybe you're, you think you're small, but I need, but I really, I feel like you also stand out for being different. And, and it feels like that's partly thanks to being privately held. It's partly the vision 
that you've had. And, and, uh, and now that you're a B corporation, you guys are chugging along. I, I'm wondering how and when, David, you have to think uh, it's no longer the Daviness village, but maybe it's going to be the Daviness city or town. <laughs> well, for sure, um, you are invited to the opening of the of a, of hotel, uh, a regenerative hotel that we are putting together in, in the city of Parma, uh, opening October 25. We have uh, two years from now, but uh, for sure, um, because we have... Uh, thousands of visitors every year so uh we were interested in expanding the experience of visiting the davines village also at the let's say, hospitality level so plenty of uh, innovation on uh, on an industry hospitality that is i think uh, not that innovative in terms of uh, purpose driven uh very very few before hotels in the world uh, very, very few regenerative initiatives uh, in a, in an industry that is, let's say, tourism and hospitality. That is huge. Is uh, you know, when it comes to real estate, is bigger than uh, bigger than the beauty industry. It's such a huge industry with uh, you know thousands and thousands of locations in the world. And so we would like to um, say some, make a statement uh, also on this one. And uh, so, the, as you can see, uh, I uh, maybe one of the things that make Davines difference is different is that uh, we think uh, beyond the beauty industry, uh, and also we take inspiration from the outside of the beauty industry mainly. I love it, the Davines Hotel. Wow, that that is uh, not really. It's not really a Davines Hotel, but it's a hotel. Um, um, Gen generated by Davines and also another company, Chiesi. Pharma. It's a pharma uh, pharmaceutical company uh, from Parma. So uh, the idea of uh, building, creating a community of entrepreneurs for the regeneration of the, um, of, in this case, of the city, uh, is uh, I think is a strong statement. And by the way. Uh, we also applied in the beauty in the, this principle. We also applied in the beauty industry because uh, we have been one of the founders of the promoter of the B Corp Beauty Alliance. That right now includes seventy-two B Corps uh, uh, that are part of the beauty industry for many billions of turnover. I think around seven billions, if I calculate uh, well, these seventy-two companies, which is like maybe two percent of the world beauty market. The goal of the Bicar Beauty Alliance is to uh, make uh, the beauty industry a more sustainable industry in general and cooperation, pre-competitive cooperation is the key. And that is the, the same principle of uh, us uh, investing in, uh, in an hospitality project in, uh, in the community of Parma, where we have a lot of, a lot of people living the, the quarter is here. Phenomenal. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to put a little link into uh, the Beauty B Core Alliance as well in the show notes. So um, in, in my book, I uh, one of my books, I, I talk a lot about the importance of governance and the opportunities of private ownership. Another area that for me is very interesting is the notion of community. And uh, there's a sort of the trendy community piece. Hey, let's build a community of uh, customers and, and make them talk about us. 
it feels like you guys have a, a much stronger and broader idea with regard to community. Specifically, obviously, you have the B Corporation. And you've talked about just now the community of your employees in the Davines village. How have you, I mean, to what extent are you crafting community? Is that something like an explicit thing you're trying to do? Or is it just a consequence of what you do? No, it's very explicit. Uh, we invest a lot in communities through events, uh, through physical meetings. One thing is to create a community that talks, uh, they say a few words in social media about, uh, I don't know, a product or that gives us some stars or of appreciation or some likes of appreciation. One thing is to build a community where you know people by name, where you, um, you know their aspirations, uh, you know what they stand for, and, uh, and together uh, you become stronger than one and, um, and you share and, uh, and there is a support um, and, there, and there is a listening. So that is a, the type of community that I was talking about. In some parts where we do, we, uh, where we succeed very well. Uh, in some other areas, because we have different, type, different types of communities. The biggest one is the community, for example, of hairdressers of Davines, around uh, 50,000 salons in the world, around at least 100,000 hairdressers, probably, probably more than that. Uh, so this community, of course, uh, we have a, a core of a few thousand that every year uh, gather during um, in our events. And uh, they become kind of like, let's say, family-style events of 3,000 people. It's a borderline a bit, but uh, uh, we prefer to make a smaller. So that's why now we go back more regional events I was uh, doing. Uh, we did one in Colombia uh, two weeks ago with all our Latin America uh, community of um, addressers and also distributors. And now I'm, we are doing one in Hong Kong uh, this month of November, uh, gathering all the Asian community. This is super important. Then we have uh, other areas in the company where our community, we are not able to gather enough uh, strength uh, certain communities. That it means that maybe we don't have, an, we don't, we don't, give, we don't bring enough uh, value to the community. Uh, and uh, the, I see a proportion. Um, I see a, a correlation between the strength of the community and strength of the business. And I see also a correlation of strength of the business and strength of our educational activities. And um, and strength and strength of the again and the community and the, and the business. So um, no, no, uh, we do it deliberately, but uh, out of not not really out of calculation, but out of instinct. For example, in January we will spend four five days all together, five hundred people in Punta Cana with all our. Let's say internal people in North America. U.S. is our North America is our number one industry. Who today invest in high season because January six in Dominican Republic is high season. Five hundred people for few uh, for few days. You make the calculation. 
it's going to be a, an expensive exercise. But uh, we we can't wait. We are looking forward to it um, because uh, uh, we think it's the best way to start the year altogether. Oh, I love that. Well, I'll be in Cancun on those that date, so not too far away. And of course, I know Punta Cana. And I remember the time that you moved to New York uh, and uh, the beginning of the Davines U.S. Uh, journey. That was good fun. <laughs> yeah, that was incredible. It was... Uh, um, in New York and in France, I opened the two branches personally, so I have a very good pioneering memories on this one. And the strongest memory, just to give an idea of the type of... Uh, um endeavor was that uh, we started uh, we started with a beautiful loft in new york with a bedroom in the back and that was uh, also where i was living paris same thing beautiful loft in uh, saint germain uh, like uh, close to Rue de la, facing saint germain de Pré, and a uh, little bedroom in the back so that was really 24/7 but uh, that you know, and that was the energy, the, the passion was incredible. I miss, I miss those days. I have a feeling. I, I think I visited you in both of those locations. So yeah, those are good, good, warm souvenirs. The the um, the beauty industry, the one that I worked in, the professional hairdresser industry, is is still a, a large part of your business. You also have the spa business, of course. But how would you describe how the hair or the hairdresser industry has changed over these years, and where are we today? Is it a is there a, is it a, is an uh, growing, exciting industry? How how would you define the future for this industry? Uh, the future of the of the professional beauty industry, uh, I think, uh, would be a a good one. Even though there is um, there have been a lot of changes uh, in the, in this field, particularly a high percentage of uh, hairdressers uh, going the independent route and uh, and going, especially in the Anglo-Saxon world, going towards um, independency, freelancer and uh, going to work in co-working spaces. Thanks to the technology like social media, you can market yourself, you can position yourself. But um, I don't know, I have a feeling, I also talking to some of um, you know my uh, partners that I appreciate the most in, um, in when it comes to uh, thinking about the future of the industry, I feel that it's kind of like a, we are in a kind of a swing of a pendulum because uh, many of those addresses that are becoming independent at one point, they realize that they are kind of lonely, kind of on their own. The government forgets about them. Uh, they don't have the discipline uh, to really, uh, that you need in uh, when you work. You cannot just work uh, once in a while. Uh, you become friend of your client uh, and you know, and then uh, it's it's become a bit it's becoming a big mess, a big mess. So many of those um, uh, independent addressers, as far as I know, they feel that um, they want to go back to belonging to a team, belonging to a group, and uh, to support each other, to have a common goal. So uh, this is a uh, this is definitely an element. Then there is also the element of uh, salons, also talking to other 
people that inspire me in the industry, I I feel that um, in the past there were more there was more emphasis in beautiful salons and salons are like beauty spaces. Um, right now, uh, it's more rare to find salons that are beauty beauty spaces that are an inspiration that are uh, even influencing your your potentially your lifestyle. Um, so I think the beauty industry should uh, not forget the importance of spaces, uh, of beauty spaces. And they visited some incredible salons. I just went to visit a salon in uh, recently in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Mamma mia, it's like so beautiful. Just a brand new one. Um, with 200, uh, 200 addresses. Like this, this uh, type of uh, places, I think are, um, okay, Brazil is a special case. Eh? Uh, I mean, salons that you find in Brazil, you don't find them anywhere else in the world, not even in the US. But uh, there should be an emphasis on uh, spaces for beauty. He let's say healing spaces, caring spaces, you know, uh, spaces where you feel like, like a home. And uh, because this is what uh, is needed. To go to, a, to, go, to go to our hairdresser is not only about uh, go to do your hair. Uh, I, I was quite impressed when I heard from, uh, in Italy during COVID, they, they, they did some market research, market study, and they asked people, what was the most important thing you missed during COVID? Guess what? Going to, to my hairdresser was number one for majority of women. Number one, incredible. The power, that goes beyond uh, just you know doing doing uh, good hair of going I to a salon. It's amazing. I I uh, I often I well I used to talk about this when I was running Redken. This idea that if you as a supplier can help a hairdresser to feel better about themselves, they will then in turn touch one thousand two hundred people on average, and, and there's a community around that hairdressing salon, and this interest yeah this notion of loneliness. Loneliness, it's it's very apparent that we've we feel like we're really connected on social media, but we're really I'm disconnected. Sorry, Minter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, uh, uh, maybe I feel a little uh, rushed. You have to go. I, no, 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 no. It's not. It's not about rush. I feel that. Uh, okay, now we are in this artificial intelligence, uh, social media, influencers, and this and that. And uh, I don't know. I feel kind of traditional when i say this um there are two uh there are two ways to look at it either either uh, in damage we are, we are becoming too traditional or we're getting old or um or we think that still the fundamental will stay um considering the amount of projects that we have um okay, i uh, i would like to think that is the option two and not option one well, for sure, you and I aren't getting any younger, uh, but I, I really like the way you were speaking about that. David, one last word for you, one last question. You guys have really done a stand-up job. You, you are a, a beacon in the industry. And, and yet I'd love to find out how you, David, last question, define success. Success is, uh, is to, uh, to be content uh of your of, of your journey to be uh at 
think uh, uh, I think is a success uh, is a is a combination of factors. It's a holistic, you know, success. Uh, you know, is a is a I think an, an holistic dimension. We all we all uh, we all uh, know that within our let's say the scope as human beings we are we are so small we are so fragile. We are extremely fragile, no, as as human beings and. Uh, uh, in our condition, our human condition, we we know our human condition very well. So when it comes to when it comes to success, uh, I mean, success is again uh, the last day of your life. Um, uh, to to maybe think that uh, you have um, lived a life worth living and that you don't uh, have too many regrets, and that uh, and that your conscience is. Uh, uh, in a good place. David Bolatti, that's a lovely way to end it, that your conscience is in a good place. I really, it was great to reconnect with you. Uh, thank you for sharing your intimate and, and true words behind your lovely journey, sharing, going for eudaimonia and, uh, and helping the beauty industry uh, come along. Uh, was there any way, any final words, any any links you'd like to let me know? Pimp, pimp some Daviness. <laughs> Or comfort zone? No, but the, if you want to go more in depth, you can go to davinesgroup.com. You can go to see our sustainability report and you can find hundreds, literally hundreds of projects that we make on, on our big pillars of sustainability, decarbonization, circularity, biodiversity, and, and now even water. Um, so these are, these are maybe the last, um, the last tips. You can go on also on Davines Air Care or Comfort Zone Skin Care to, to go more in depth. But thank you, Minter, because with you is always a, uh, it's always I feel always very comfortable because of, of your human or your human touch. Um, and uh, so um, thank you because of this, this hour was uh, pleasurable to me, and this is thanks to, to your kindness and your and your expertise in the industry uh, combined. At Charity, thank you for giving us uh, an hour of your time stuck in between two airplanes in Dubai. Uh, you are a you were totally present with me and us, and I really appreciate it. We will stay in touch, David. I hope. Okay, Minter. Thanks so much. So, a really heartfelt thanks for listening to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast service. As ever, ratings and reviews are the real currency of podcasts. And if you're really inspired, I'm accepting donations on patreon.com forward slash interdial. You'll find the show notes with over 2,100 blog posts on minterdial.com on topics ranging from leadership to branding, tech, and marketing tips. Check out my documentary film and books including the last one, the second edition of Artificial Empathy, Putting Heart into Business and Artificial Intelligence that came out in April 2023. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. Stranger tucked around me, precipitated.
Hello, this is Gary Chachot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.